It's that wonderful time of year again. A time where we listen to Mariah Carey sing All I Want for Christmas is You about five million times. It's a time where we're forced to spend time with our family or some of us do it willingly. Yeah, some people actually have good relationships with their family. Kind of weird. <laughs> Christmas parties, for example, are also a time for joy, laughs, and family. It's time to be shared with the ones you love. But sometimes, the ones who love us have a different plan. That was the case of Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, AKA the Killer Santa. Now, for all you parents out there, you might want to put the kids to bed. Or, if you're easily upset, this is not the episode for you. Listener discretion is advised. And as always, if you're new here, I'm Anthony Rossetti, your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained. And this is Not Another Horror Podcast. Bruce Jeffrey Pardo grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, California. He graduated from John H. Polytechnic High School and went on to study computer science at California State Northridge. A bright man, he graduated and secured himself a job as a software engineer for Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Bruce wasn't the model employee, I mean, how many of us really are? Spending time hacking the company's systems to access private personal information, including but not limited to compensation, tax information, etc. He also had very poor attendance. Despite all of this, by 1988, at the age of 24, he found himself engaged to Delia, a fellow employee. Bruce still lived with his mother and wasn't in the best financial shape. So, Delia agreed to pay for a wedding reception at the country club, as well as a honeymoon in Tahiti. You know, I've always wanted to go to Tahiti. Everything was set up. And both Delia and Bruce's mother were excited. The big day arrived on June 17, 1989. 
Delia waited at the church in nervous anticipation. But Bruce... Bruce never showed up. She later discovered that he had withdrawn $3,000 from their joint bank account and took a trip of his own to Palm Springs, Florida. Delia called off their engagement and things went back to how they used to be. It wasn't until 2001 that Bruce found himself in another difficult situation. He was living with his girlfriend, Eleanor, and their 13-month-old son, Matthew, in Woodland Hills, California. It was the most stable relationship Bruce had ever had, and things were going really well. That is, until the day Eleanor went out, leaving Bruce home alone with a baby. Bruce turned on the television and got sucked in, allegedly. He wasn't paying careful attention to Matthew, and the boy fell into the backyard pool. When Eleanor returned home, she found Bruce holding their son, nearly hysterical. Matthew was rushed to the hospital, and after just one week of intense medical attention, the doctors informed them that their son would never fully recover. In fact, Matthew had sustained brain damage and was now a paraplegic. As Bruce did when things got hard, he left, never to see his son again. Despite his mother's continued interest in and child support of the child, in 2004, a co-worker of Bruce's introduced him to his sister-in-law, Sylvia. Sylvia was a 40-year-old mother of three, and they hit it off right from the start. January 29, 2006, the couple was married. Bruce purchased a three-bedroom, $452,000 home in Montrose. The happy family attended church together regularly. Bruce even volunteered as an usher. But things are not always as they seem, as we've learned in this podcast. Their relationship was suffering under financial stress. And then Bruce's mother, Nancy, decided she had to say something. She was quiet, fond of Sylvia, and knew her son had his troubles. She told her about her son's past relationships, including that with Eleanor and their son, Matthew. Sylvia was shocked by this revelation, having not known anything about Matthew and further angered by Bruce's dishonesty and his lack of responsibility. Then it was discovered that although Bruce hadn't seen his son since that day in the hospital, he was still continuing to claim him on his taxes as a dependent. Yes, you heard that right. Sylvia filed for divorce in April 2008 and Bruce spiraled into another depression. In June, he purchased his first gun, a 9mm handgun. On June 18th in divorce court, he was ordered to pay $1,785 per month in spousal support. He wrote his first check, which bounced, 
and then he stopped payment on the second, making no further attempts to pay. On July 31st, he was fired from his job for billing fraudulent hours. Yes, he sounds like a winner, right? <laughs> he applied for unemployment, but was denied, of course, because workers who are fired aren't eligible to receive unemployment benefits. On August 8th, Bruce purchased another 9mm handgun, followed by another purchase on September 8th. He then contacted one of his neighbors, Jerry, who happened to be the owner of Jerry's Costumes. He requested a custom-sized Santa suit with a little extra room for comfort as he was 6 foot 4 and 270 pounds, making a standard suit too small. He told her it was for a children's party and paid a $200 deposit with a promise to pick up and pay the rest in November. Then on October 11th, he purchased his fourth handgun. He received a call from an old high school friend, Steve Irwin, who asked him over to his home in Iowa to celebrate his 45th birthday. Bruce accepted. And while he was there, confided in Steve. He was embarrassed that his personal life was open and on display in court where everyone could see his finances and now knew of his firing. Even more so, he was upset that he and his mother hardly spoke now and during the divorce proceedings, she chose to sit with Sylvia's family, not providing support to her own son. November came and Bruce returned to Jerry's costumes and paid the outstanding fee for his costume and even left her a $20 tip. On the 13th, he purchased yet another handgun, now totaling five. He had also acquired a DeWalt's compressor, a 50-foot hose, and a tank of high-octane fuel. Just one week before Christmas, on December 18th, 2008, Bruce's divorce from Sylvia was final. He agreed to let her keep her diamond engagement ring and agreed to pay her $10,000. The next day, he went to Montrose Travel Agency, where he booked a ticket to Iowa, where he would visit his friend, Steve. He paid $650 for a round-trip flight that would depart at 12.20 a.m. on Christmas Day and return two weeks later. He rented a Dodge Caliber from Budget, then rented a silver RAV4 from Rent-A-Rack. He loaded up the RAV4 with maps of the southwestern United States as well as water, food, clothing, a tank of gas, a laptop, and desktop computer. Early evening on Christmas Eve, he stopped to chat with a neighbor, saying he was heading out to a Christmas party. He had been signed up to serve as an usher for midnight mass at the church he attended, but didn't show up. Instead, at approximately 11.30 p.m., dressed in his Santa suit, Bruce knocked on the door of his former in-law's house, where he knew his ex-wife would be. The door was answered by eight-year-old Letitia, 
Sylvia's niece. Excited to see Santa Claus as any kid would be, she rushed towards him to give him a hug. Bruce didn't hesitate. He fired, hitting her in the face. He went on to shoot at the frightened party guest. When he felt he was done shooting, he unwrapped the largest gift he had brought with him. It was a homemade flamethrower. He began to spray racing fuel around the home, intent on lighting it with a flare. Unfortunately for Bruce, the flames from two separate fireplaces triggered an explosion. Bruce fled the house, dropping a pair of fake glasses and his Santa hat in the yard. He jumped into the Dodge Caliber rental car and drove 30 miles to Silmer, parking about a block away from his brother's home. He carefully peeled his shredded Santa suit off his body as it had melted into his skin from the explosion, causing third-degree burns. He used his suit to set up a booby trap. If the suit was moved, a tripwire would ignite a flash fire, exploding 200 rounds of ammunition. Bruce's brother returned home around 3.10 a.m. and found him sprawled on the living room couch with two handguns by his side. He was dead, having shot himself in the mouth. Back at the house, the fire soared 40 to 50 feet and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. The bodies were charred. Nine people were dead and three others wounded. Due to the intensity of the fire, victims could only be identified with dental and medical records. Sylvia, Bruce's ex-wife, died from a gunshot wound. Alice, Sylvia's mother, died from a gunshot wound to the abdomen. Joseph, Sylvia's father, died from multiple gunshot wounds. Charles, Sylvia's brother, died from a combination of smoke and gunshot wounds. Sherry, Charles' wife, died from a combination of smoke and gunshot wounds. James, Sylvia's brother, died from a combination of smoke and gunshot wounds. Teresa, James' wife, died also from smoke and gunshots. And Michael, Alicia's son died in the fire. He was burned alive. Sylvia's eight-year-old niece, who had been shot in the face, suffered severe but non-life-threatening injuries. A 16-year-old girl was shot and wounded in the back, and a 20-year-old woman suffered a broken ankle, jumping from a second-floor window. Now, I told you this episode was going to be a gruesome one, and <sighs> could you just imagine being at a Christmas party and Santa Claus comes in and starts shooting everyone and uses a flamethrower on you? <laughs> <laughs> 
That imagery sticks with me, and I wasn't even there. So, I could only imagine how the survivors must feel. Well, that's all I have for you this week, and Merry Christmas, I guess. (laughs) Until next week, stay safe, stay sane, and do a background check before you get married. (laughs) 